morning. So um, what you're about to see is just scripture. Um, it's taken straight from the Bible. It's um, a combination from the Psalms and from the Gospel of Mark. Um, so I will explain a little bit afterwards why I, why the Lord laid this passage on my heart. Um, but for now, I just want you to worship with me through the word of God. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had, but was no better, but rather grew worse. Oh, Lord, God of, of my salvation, I, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble. And my life draws near to Sheol. I, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You, you have laid me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Every day I cry out to you, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do, do the departed rise up to praise you? Is, are your wonders known in the darkness or your faithfulness in the land of Abaddon? But I, Lord, I cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. She had heard the reports about Jesus. And she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment. For she thought, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, sensing in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and asked, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you ask who touched me? And he looked about in the crowd to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and, and in trembling and fell down before him and, and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him 
on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Yes. The word of the Lord. The Lord um, really put this piece on my heart a couple years ago. Um, I was in a season of a lot of discouragement, and um, I w it was one of those things where you see an issue in your own heart, and you're like, okay, all right, got to deal with this, and you're like, all right, God, next time I'll do better, and you just like try to, you know, pull it together on your own, and you, and then you go at it again, and you hit a wall. And you go at it again, and you hit a wall. And you're like, God, next time I'll do better. And then you hit a wall. And I was so discouraged, and I was like, Lord, like, I can't beat this. Like, I, I, I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope. Like, I can't. And I was reading this story in the Gospel of Mark, and the Lord just spoke to me and said, this woman, she spent all that she had. Carissa, that's like you. You've given all your effort. You can't do it. You spent all that you had, and it's only got worse. And this, wo this woman, when she turned to Jesus, that's <laughs> one touch healed her. And the Lord told me, Carissa, if I could heal this woman's body, how much more can I not deal with this issue in your heart? And I just feel like so many times we get discouraged because we're looking in all the wrong places for our strength. We're looking to our own strength. We're looking to maybe listening to more teaching or this or that. And, and really, Jesus is just like, just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. One look from me will heal the issue, will cure it. And so... Um, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you with that, and that's, that's really where this piece is coming from. And I just want us to remember, to remember all the ways the Lord has come through for us, and in the issues we are dealing with, to remember where your strength comes from and where the solution is. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. so powerful. Um, well, I just think it's really neat, um, and I don't think there are coincidences with the Father, but um, I didn't remember that Chris was going to do the piece on that, um, the woman with the issue of blood this morning, but um, um, I was just asked to share my testimony with y'all, um, so of how the Lord has touched me recently, so um, for several years, I had battled, like, strange bouts of stomach issues. I would just, like, out of the blue, just get violently sick, like vomiting and, and or diarrhea, severe stomach pain, fevers. Like, it was just weird, and I didn't know what was going on. And um, it would last for a day or two, and then it would clear up, and then it would just come again, like, out of the blue, and a few weeks or a few months later, and I never knew when to expect it, and I didn't know what was going on. Um... And then at the end of my pregnancy with our last baby, um, some of you might remember, but I became really ill again. But this time it didn't clear up in just a few days. I was so sick um, with diarrhea for like weeks on end. Um, and in my third trimester pregnancy um, that my midwife sent me to the ER. And, um, and soon after that, I was diagnosed with C. diff which is a very serious gut um, bacterial infection. Um, so I, from what I hear, it's just very serious, very uh, contagious, and um, just really bad stuff. But um, many of you are praying for me at this time, and I thank you so much for that, because the Lord hears your prayers. He heard your prayers. Um, so he didn't heal me at that moment, <laughs> even though I wanted him to. But um, 
So the doctor gave me the strongest antibiotics that he could that would be safe during pregnancy, but they couldn't kick the infection. Um, so I had to eat a very limited diet in order not to aggravate my stomach and cause another flare-up because the C. diff gave me colitis, and so it was just a whole um, mess of stuff. Um, but even in this very difficult time, I saw the goodness of the Lord, and even with being so sick, having to eat such a limited diet, and even a few days of like fasting on liquid diets like to try to get the diarrhea under control, um, so with all of that, um, finally our, our little one was born, he was born healthy, and in spite of all of that, he was our biggest baby yet. <laughs> so um, as one of my dear friends told me, that was just your dad showing off right there. Um, so but, um, after he got born, I, or after he was born, I gradually got much better. Um, and I thought, okay, that's over, until the abdominal attacks began again in December. And since the antibiotics hadn't worked before, I didn't see any reason to try them again. Um, and so I started on a regimen of six months of massive doses of probiotics and natural supplements to help detox my body, and um, along with, again, a, a very restricted diet, praying that this more natural route would vanquish the C. diff. Um, and at the end of the six months, which was just last month in August, um, I thought, okay, I'm finally better. And when I was just finishing up all my supplements, I had another attack. And at this point, um, I mean, I had prayed all along for healing, but at this point, it was like, Lord, you are my only hope. <laughs> like, traditional medicine didn't do it. Natural medicine didn't do it. You are my only hope, Lord. Um, and the very next day at church, okay, so that was a Saturday. I had an attack. The very next day was church, um, and I, the Lord just really encouraged my heart not to give up. And it was, um, the Lord just was really moving in power in the service and just really encouraged me. And Allison and the worship team introduced their song, We Prophesy, uh, Dead to Life and Wrong to Right. And I just, it was just so timely for me, so powerful. Like I felt like the Lord was speaking that over me. And a few days later, my children and I were having rest time um, in the middle of the day. And the Lord just began to minister to me in a very powerful way. Um, I don't, this is a little disclaimer here, I don't understand all the inner workings of healing. Um, and I don't believe that every time someone is sick, there's sin in their life. But um, in this particular case in my own life, I do believe that I had somehow opened the door to the sickness by sin in my life because of lies I had believed, like self-rejection. Um, and so just lies I had been believing about myself. And I knew, it's like Chris was saying, like I knew I had been battling this for a while, and I kept trying, like I kept trying, like, Lord, like help me, help me. I don't, I don't want this, you know, help me to um, break free. But I just, I couldn't quite ever get free or get to the bottom of it. Um, let's see. Okay, so that day, and then just in our rest time, just in an instant, the Holy Spirit showed me the roots of the problem, just like that. And only he can do that. <laughs> and so and in that moment, I was just able to really repent and um, just cut off those lies and just be free. And I, I just felt the love of the Lord in such a powerful way because I realized, wow, like even with all that junk inside, like the Lord, he loves me and he was loving me through that. Um, and he loved me to the moment when he was going to turn the light on and just, you know, be able to set me free. Um, and so it was just such a powerful moment. And little Isaias came into our room because I was crying. And he said, I thought you were hurt. You know? <laughs> um, but I was just like, no, the Lord is so good. You know, it's just um, so that was just really powerful. And I was just so encouraged. Um, and then the next Sunday... Brandon was preaching about the mercy of the Lord. And I remember he was sharing about a time when, I don't know, something had happened to his eye. and He was in a lot of pain, and he had just cried out to the Lord and asked him for healing. And um, Little Frontier was making quite a ruckus, so I had walked outside with him, and I said, you know, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray like Brandon did. And so I just prayed, and I confessed. I said, Lord, I confess 
to you that I deserve this sickness, but I'm asking you for mercy. And um, so once again, a few days later, during our rest time, rest time is a good thing, uh, <laughs> I, I flipped my Bible open and just started reading. And I began reading in Psalm 6, and verse 9 just jumped off the page at me. And it says this, The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. And I just, I just knew, like, this cannot be coincidence. Um, so that whole week, I was, like, fighting to believe. I was like, Lord, I believe you healed me. But it's like, I dared, hardly dared to hope. You know, I wanted to believe so bad, but I was hardly daring to hope. And then the next Sunday, Dr. Davis was ministering here. And the Lord began to move in healing before the sermon. And I just begged the Lord. And I was like, Lord, if only he would say someone has been healed of C. diff. Uh, you know, please, Lord. I just need that confirmation. And so Dr. Davis, he didn't say C. diff, but he did say someone has been healed of gastrointestinal stomach issues. And um, I just knew I had to respond. Like, I knew that is me. Um, and so my husband and I decided after that that I should get another lab analysis done to medically confirm my healing. And sure enough, I guess it was like a week and a half ago, the results came back negative. So. echo that verse, Carissa, that you shared. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. That may not fire you up as much as it does me, but I don't, I don't know if Shana mentioned, but she had dealt with that for nine or ten years. So the Lord did a beautiful and powerful thing in her. We are all rejoicing because of that. It's a great thing when your kids can come up and preach for you and then you don't have to, to do it. Um, so I appreciate that. But th this all goes together in a theme. And if you'll stand up with me, you didn't think I'd let you get away with it even though you just stood. All right, let's stand. Let's reach out our hands to the Lord. Let's ask him to encounter us with his word. Father, we need you, we look to you, we hope in you, our trust is in you. We thank you for being in this place and for having us here. And we ask now that you would encounter our hearts with your word, not just on the surface, but that you would drop into us seeds of life that will root and that will change us more and more into the image of Jesus and will make us more pliable to your hands and more in alignment with your divine purposes for us that your name may be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to mostly be in 1 Corinthians with my exhortation. When you're down to this much time, you don't call it preaching anymore. You call it an exhortation. So that doesn't mean it won't be longer, but it's maybe it'll be a little bit different. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So the title that I put on this message is Letting God Preach Through Your Weakness. Letting God Preach Through Your Weakness. That ties in perfectly with what Carissa shared, what Shana shared. Here's the thing. God is never intimidated by our weakness. He's never intimidated by it. In fact, He likes it. He loves it. He's postured our lives in such a way that he wants to make sure we stay in it and we know we're in it so that we will reach out to him for everything and not try to be self-movers and shakers. He wants us to be and live in dependency on him. But how many know that that's not always comfortable? That's not always a comfortable place. But the Lord intends for us to live in that place of helplessness and of weakness you know, I don't, I don't like that 
message. I know. I, and I know there's a possibility here today, maybe a high probability, that some of the things that I say some people will be offended at. Just know my heart is not to offend. My heart is to provoke. That those two things are different. And to stir. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, start reading at verse 18. I want to read 18 through 31. I'll use this as a main text here at the beginning. Paul speaking to the Corinthians, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen three times in those two verses. Emphatically, he's saying God chose it to be this way because he wanted it to be this way. He wanted this system to be this way. There's a good reason why he did that. The base things of the world, verse 28, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast, say it, in the Lord. God has so constituted the way that the kingdom of God works in the gospel that nobody can possibly boast. There is no resource, there is nothing to boast in other than Christ Jesus and the cross of Jesus. There's nothing else to boast in. If we don't see that, we're not seeing things rightly. So this passage of Scripture re reveals two profound revelations about God's nature and His character. Okay? Let me just give you those, and we'll start here. Number one, God delights to put down human pride and self-sufficiency. He delights to do that. You see the phrases in verse 27, to shame the wise, to shame the things that are strong. In verse 28, to nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before God. He loves to take that which is puffed up, boasting, making much of itself, and put it down. That's in his nature. Secondly, God delights to take losers and weak people to show forth his glory and his power. All right, everybody do this. <laughs> not many wise, not many mighty, not many strong, not many noble. He doesn't choose those first. He chooses people like you and me that were losers, that were on the path to self-destruction, that did not have a chance and have a prayer. I don't know if that's your story or if you think that's your story. It probably was. But I know that was my story. God delights to take the weak. Why? Because he loves to take the weak and use them to preach about who he is. And the preaching goes something like this. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your strength. I don't need your experience. I don't need your money. I don't need your position. I don't need your pedigree. I need your weakness because I want to take you and demonstrate that nothing good can possibly happen in you unless I do it. And everyone's going to know that I did it. He preaches about himself to us. And he preaches about himself to the devil. Ephesians 3.10 says that the many-sided wisdom of God, he demonstrates to the principalities and powers. 
How is he demonstrating to the principalities and powers the many-sided wisdom? Oh, it's because we have such deep revelation, brother. They're just amazed when they hear us talk how deep our revelation is the demons are, right? No, I don't think it's like that. I don't think the demons are amazed at the revelation that we have. I think what they are amazed at is when God says, look at this. I chose this bunch of losers, and I'm going to raise them up, and I'm going to kick your tail, and I'm going to tear down your kingdom, and I'm going to bring and establish my kingdom on the earth. All of these losers, you know why that's going to happen? Because they're not relying on their strength. I'm not relying on their pedigree, their nobility. I'm relying upon my strength, working through their weakness to glorify my name. The kingdom is about the glory of God and His name. That's why He's chosen the weak. And you go, yeah, well, I was weak. And then He saved me, and now I'm strong, and my pedigree's lifted up. And I want to say... It's not true. We, God has so ordained our walk in Christ that we have to maintain a position of weakness or we can't survive. We don't get our act together and now we're strong and so we can make it go. We can make things work. That's not how it happens. Paul had the most trouble in his apostleship with the church in Corinth. Do you know why that was? It's because their expectations of what the man of God was supposed to be like were severely disappointed in Paul. He wasn't the guy that they thought. I mean, he came and he evangelized them. But then when they saw him and they got a real good view of how he walked before the Lord and what his life was like, they were totally unimpressed. That's why they had their own super apostles. Paul, you're not one of the super apostles, dude. They said of Paul, your speech is contemptible. Your bodily presence is weak. You're not the guy. You don't get up on the stage and wow everybody. You're not this amazing communicator like our Greek orators are. You're not everything that we would want in a leader. And so they began to despise his apostolic authority because of that. But I want you to notice how Paul learned. Listen, listen to who this guy is. When Paul gives his pedigree in Philippians chapter 2, two and three, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. As to the law, I was found what? Blameless. And I surpassed all of my contemporaries. He had a pedigree in the natural. But yet when he gets down to chapter three and verse seven, he goes, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. No more than that. I count everything to be dung in comparison with the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He lived in a totally different way. And I want to show you something and then give this exhortation. The way that Paul lived, how many believe that Paul had a good revelation of Jesus? How many people believe that Paul didn't have a damaged self-image? He had a revelation of Jesus. Here's how he lived his life. You go, oh yeah, well I was weak and then the Lord healed me. He made me strong and now I, I'm out on my own. I, I can handle it from here, Lord. He's like, no, you can't handle it at all, actually. Look at, look at chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. Let's just look at a couple of these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read that. When I came to you, brethren... Mighty man of faith and power that I was, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in what? In weakness and in what? And in fear and in what? Much trembling. Is this your picture of an apostle who had a revelation from heaven? Who got the gospel? Is this, I mean, for real. This is what the Corinthians are dealing with. This guy's here, and he's, he's coming up to preach. I mean, he, he said he was trembling a lot. He was afraid. And he's getting up there, and they're like, who is this guy? And when he began to speak, the Holy Spirit confirmed the words that were coming forth, convicted their hearts, and they responded. 
but I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And then flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want to point out these verses to you because this is Paul's whole life. And we're going to get to the passage that you're all familiar with, I'm sure, in just a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, read verse 5 with me. Let's read, start at verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God only. Let me read you um, about the culture in Corinth and see if it strikes a note to you as far as our uh, Western and American culture. In a city whose heritage, culture, and worldview were shaped by athletic competition and the triumph of strength over weakness, Paul's proclamation of a Savior crucified in weakness and his insistence that weakness is strength must have left many Corinthians staring in confused bewilderment. As the proud host of the Isthmian Games, the victorious athlete stood at the center of Corinth's civic pride. A visitor to first century Corinth would stroll past exquisite marble statues of wrestlers grappling, sprinters poised for flight, plaques enumerating victors, and colossal sculptures of the goddess herself, Nike. You didn't know that was a goddess, did you? Nike's the goddess with wings, the goddess of victory, with her wings triumphantly outstretched. All this stuff they excavated in Corinth. The coins exchanged in the market bore similar images of contestants and victors' wreaths. And upon leaving the forum, an imposing bronze of Hercules would bid the traveler farewell. Right in the city square, they had this massive bronze sculpture of Hercules. Can't even fake that, can I? would bid the traveler farewell, embodying the ideal, the ideal of bravery and brute strength. His brawny physique graced Corinthians coins and statuaries, and his temple was located near the center of the city. So here's the way that they viewed. Is that, is that not the way that we ha look in our culture as well? Are we really pretty similar to that? Our sports heroes are they're chiseled, right? They're just muscular. They're cut like that. We have the picture of Jordan jumping from the foul line with the ball up here like this. How did he ever do that, bro? Did you ever do that? Okay. Could you even make a layup, bro? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He'll get me for that later. Um, that's, that's our view, right? The, the, the strong, the mighty in business, we want the Bill Gates, the guys who are billionaires. These are, these are the guys that our society looks up to. These are the strong. These are the powerful. These are the influential. And Paul says in the kingdom, it's exactly opposite of that. The ones who are the strongest ones are the ones who have learned to be the most dependent upon God. Because our dependency and our weakness, as we're going to get to in a minute, in a, it's a portal for the power of God to flow through our lives. If we want to get rid of our weakness, we get rid of the door that invites His power and His presence into us. You go, I really hate my weaknesses. I, how many people hate the weaknesses that you have in your life? The things that you can't control, the things that are still, yeah. We want to get rid of that if we could at all costs, right? I get that. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God, though. The Lord hems us in with weaknesses all around us that we cannot get away from and we can't control because he wants us to be in the position of having that door, that portal wide open. He's more concerned about Christ's life being formed in us than he is about our comfort. Have you found that out yet? If you haven't, you haven't been saved very long. Our weaknesses are the portal for his power to flow into our lives. I have a heart. Let me, let, can I just talk about the conference for just a minute? Um, conference that we just had. How many? How many got rocked by the Lord in that? How many loved it? How many? 
I, I did. Isaac and I were back there on that pew back about there. Just we were that was our weeping pew. We had the we had the mourners bench back there, and we're back there sobbing and weeping. The presence of the Lord was beautiful, and inviting, and breaking up fallow ground and all of those good kinds of things. My, I have a concern, a pastoral concern that I just want to throw out when conferences like that, because I know this just from doing this for years and being around revival circles for a long time. Um, there's always a group of people that are left behind in conference like that, where the Lord is stirring, he's drawing people's hearts. You know, there, there's, this, there's this word that's going forth about people being drawn into a deeper place with the Lord. And my heart goes out to those who are left behind. And you know why they're left behind? I've had many conversations. They're discouraged. After a time like that, they get discouraged because they go, I, I, I can't do it. I, I, can't, I can't do it. Like, I just can't do it. I've tried over and over again, and I can't do it. And, and I want to wrap my arms around them and tell them, I get it. You know, if, if, if I had to put myself in the Mary or Martha side, I know which side I should put myself in, but if I'm honest, I'm on the Martha side. So, you know, Derek and Ginger Kirkman, Derek, you here? Wave. There's Derek. How many love Derek and Ginger? You know, yeah. So, so I love Derek because he asks all the hard questions, and, uh, and it, it makes it very awkward, and I love that. Um, now, Derek has psychoanalyzed me a couple times at our kitchen table, and he tells me that I'm a melancholy, okay? That, that doesn't mean I'm easily depressed, whatever. So melancholy in that um, jargon means, at least one of the things, means that you're task-oriented. If you guys would have seen me when I had my business, I literally ran every day, and I had three pads like this one, yellow pads, with, that had lists and bullet points all the way down, all three of them, and I'd be running, one on my lap, one over here, and one over here, all day long. Calls, things to do. That's me. So I get that whole thing about the busyness of life and being task-oriented, and you can get distracted. Not that I wasn't praying, not that I wasn't trying to prioritize that, but I get the pull that's there. And honestly, can I just tell you, as an elder here, it's been a process for me to actually work out of that, break out of that, and actually keep moving into a higher plane. I, I get the discouragement. You know, the bar, so often what happens, people feel like the bar is set at the world record height. Dude, here's where you've got to get to in prayer. You've got to pray like Reese Howells. You've got to pray like praying Hyde. And that's not how the Father deals with us. What he does is he says, what's your best so far? Four foot three. Okay, the world record's over eight feet. You're at four foot three. Let's do this. You and me will work together. This is the way the Father does Let's put the bar at four foot four. Let's work together and let's get over this hurdle and let's keep moving. He's after movement. But if we get discouraged and we give up, I'm just trying to encourage you. Your weakness is not a liability. It's an asset to you. Because if you take your weakness, I know this from experience. If you take your weakness to the Lord, it becomes a portal for his power to flow into your life. And all of a sudden he's lifting you higher than you could have ever gotten yourself. See, Revival culture to me is, is kind of interesting. I've been around it a lot. I love it. I love the, the passion. I love the seeking of the Lord. Um, I love all of that. But sometimes I feel like we, we blur the line between receiving and producing. Instead of saying, God, here I am in my weakness. Come and encounter me. We think that we need to produce the encounter and work it up. And we're going to pray in tongues. Pray in tongues like a machine gun. Like a machine gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to keep doing that. Or God, if we get fervent enough or if we get passionate enough or if we, whatever, we're going to produce something. And I want to tell you, you're not. You're not going to. That's not how revival happens. It happens when the Lord comes down through weak vessels that are so desperate and so hungry that they have nowhere else to go. There is no other option. And they go, God, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to have more of you. This is the revival in the Hebrides. These two old ladies are praying, one blind. They're in both in their 80s. God, pour out water on the dry ground. 
We're so dry here. We don't have any of your presence. The young people are going astray, not getting saved. They start crying out from that perspective of total weakness. The Lord put that inside of them. Then the rushing mighty wind comes. He takes that weakness, and he does what only he can do. You know what the great thing about that is? Who gets the glory at the end of the day? Does he want us to look at those two old ladies like, let's go lay our bodies on their, on their tombs and see if the bones have anything? Like, it's just craziness. No. The issue is the God of all power came into weak vessels. They weren't anything special. They just had a heart that they came and they connected it with the Lord. Take your weakness. Here's my exhortation for this day. This is, this is the, I hate to say secret because that sounds so trite. But this is definitely at the heart of all growth in Christ. This is at the heart of making progress. This is at the heart of you getting the heart's desire and the passion that the Lord has placed inside of you for himself. This is at the heart of getting there. It's taking your weakness, acknowledging it fully, embracing it, laying it down, and connecting it to his power. Connecting it to his heart. That's what we have to do. I tell my students in Maranatha, you know, my process over the years has been stuff inside of me that I couldn't reach, like Shana was talking about, issues of character, issues of whatever. You ever, you ever have those issues where you walk away from a conversation and you go, you idiot, you idiot, why did you say that? You're so stupid. Anybody? Those things down deep inside, and you cry. You go, God, I'm so sorry. Why did I say that? I don't even know why I acted like that. There's stuff that's deep down inside of us that we can't reach. That's why we take our weakness. We take it to the Lord and we go, Lord, I can't reach this stuff that's deep down inside of me. But I know you can. I would take three by five cards and I would write it down on there. I would write my sin down on there, my weakness, my foolishness. And then I try to put scriptures on that card too. But so often, so often in my life with those issues, I just lay on my back and look up to the Lord with tears running down the side of my face and say, God, I know this is real, and I know it's there. I can't reach it, but you can. I'm asking you now to come into my weakness with your almightiness and change me from the inside out. I've seen him do that over and over again. It's called the process of becoming Christ-like. Becoming Christ-like is not a process of learning how to become strong enough and say the right jargon and be, you get opposed with the Hercules statue. It's about taking our weakness, connecting it to the almightiness of a God who loves to preach through your weakness. He loves to preach through your weakness. The gospel says that our spiritual progress is not primarily based on what we do to get strong and spiritual but on what God has done for us in the cross and through the Holy Spirit's empowering presence. We tend in revival circles to emphasize our own zeal, our own fire, our own pressing in more than we emphasize God's strength, strength and grace. I think that's a, a weakness of the revival movement. We try to emulate, mimic what other people do that are passionate and full of God, and we're just going to I'm not saying all of that's wrong, but I'm just saying the emphasis for us has to be if God's heart doesn't connect with our heart, can I tell you something? You can't pray in revival unless you're connected to the heart of God. You can't. You can't go, if we pray enough, well, come on, let's just get together and pray for revival. No, it, it won't happen. You have to connect. If you, if my words abide in you, you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then... And only then you'll ask whatever you will, and those things will be done. There has to be that connection to the heart of the Father, to the heart of His Word, to the heart of His will. Where do you think faith comes from to pray for? It doesn't just come out of the ear. It comes from being connected with the Father and where we know what His will is. That's where faith comes from. All right. How are you guys doing? Are you bearing with my exhortation all right? I believe in pressing. I believe what Paul said to press in Philippians chapter 3. I believe in working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I believe that the reason we can do that is because it's God who works in us. To will and to do according to his good pleasure. 
Other translation of that verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, It's God himself who puts his desire and his power in you to perform his will. If you have the desire of God implanted in you and his will implanted in you, the want to and the power, that's a pretty good place to be. Where do we get that? We have to take our weakness and connect it with his heart. We can't produce, can, can I tell you something? I mean, I know we do this in revival services a lot where we're thinking we're, we're producing the kingdom. You, you can't produce the kingdom. The kingdom is something that you receive. Hebrews 12 says, since we have received an unshakable kingdom, we need to receive. If our true goal is glorifying God, then how can we best get there? That's, that's a good question. First um, Peter chapter 4, this is the only scripture outside of Corinthians I'm going to go to. So First Peter chapter 4, let me read that. So good. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, or NIV says the very words of God, which is very convicting. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving, notice this, by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So the issue is, the only things that count that we do, even in church work, are the things that we draw God's strength from and do because that's the thing that glorifies Him because then we're not taking the credit. Oh, brother, you're awesome. Not really. Not really. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I believe that. And I believe that the first love, the delight, I think first love is measured in delight. So that's the barometer that I use. God, am I delighting in you? That's first love. I believe that. that. That demonstrates that he's our treasure. He's more valuable than anything else. But out of this passage, I believe it's also true that God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. When we're most dependent on God, he's most glorified in us. You say, I want to glorify God. I just need to get dependent on him. Can I read you a statement from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon? God does not need your strength. He has more than enough power of his own. He asks for your weakness. He has none of that himself. And he's longing, therefore, to take your weakness and to use it as the instrument in his own mighty hand. Will you not yield your weakness to him and receive his strength? So good. All right, then 2 Corinthians, let's go back there. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 11 real quick. One verse and then chapter 12. We're moving toward the landing strip here. But you know we've got to talk about the thorn in the flesh before we get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. Paul says, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Okay, show of hands. How many of you practice the spiritual discipline of boasting in your weakness. Oh, praise God, you're in the right place. And then flip over to chapter 12, and let's look at this passage. And we'll see if we can land the plane. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. On behalf of such a man, I will boast... But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with me, uh, me with more than he sees in me or hears in me. Verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself... There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Pause. Who gave Paul the thorn in the, in the flesh? Who gave it to him? Come on, say it loud. God did. Do you believe that? Let's keep going. 
there was given me, that, that verb is, is used all throughout the New Testament of God giving a gift. There was given me as a gift, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? All right, you know, you know this. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The idea there is of a tabernacle. Paul says, when I take my weakness and connect it to the Lord, Christ's power overshadows me like a tabernacle. How many like that, the sound of that? Okay, to all two of you, because you know what it involves, right? All right, let's keep reading. Let's finish this out. Um, therefore, verse 10, I am well content with weaknesses. That's so beautiful because that phrase there, well content, is exactly the same phrase in the Greek that God the Father spoke from heaven on the baptism of Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's exactly the same phrase. Paul said, I'm pleased. I'm well pleased with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm what? Then I'm strong. Okay, so let's ask a couple of questions here. Let's see if we can make it. Number one, what is the thorn? This is the least important of all the questions. It really doesn't make that much difference. There's lots of theories on what the thorn in the flesh is that have been throughout church history. Probably the, most, the two most prominent ones is that some kind of physical sickness or ailment. And the second one is that it's uh, just severe persecution that's come against him. There's about 12 different major theories, but those are probably two main ones. Which one do I think it is? Well, I think it's the second one. I think that verse 10, he's actually describing in summary form what the thorn is with insults, distresses, persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Everywhere Paul went, I believe there was a satanic messenger. There was a demon power that stirred up trouble against him everywhere he went. Look. In, 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 if you go back in chapter 11, you can do this later if you want to, um, starting in verse 23. He lists 24 in a row of, in that one passage of the things that he went through. All of them were persecutions, difficulties, shipwreck, peril of, you know, peril of everybody, peril of brother, peril of Gentiles, peril on the sea, peril on the land, peril, everywhere peril. Um, he lists them there. And if you go back through, so Corinthians was written probably after Paul had been in ministry for about 20 years, 20, 21 years, most scholars believe. So that means he still had 10 or 11 years left. So he's two-thirds of the way through his ministry. So he'd already experienced a lot, but that wasn't all. And if you take the list that Paul gives out in 2 Corinthians, and then you go through the book of Acts, and you follow from that time on and see everything that happened to him. Are you following me? Or am I getting too complicated? You come up with like 50 things that Paul lists that, had to, that happened to him over and over again, and he couldn't get away from it. He was constantly being hunted, constantly being trial, in trial and persecution. Difficult, difficult hardships. Not one of those 50 things that he listed was physical ailment or pain or sickness in his body. Not one of them. They all had to do with the stirring up of trouble against him wherever he went. So you go, well, how come Paul would pray to ask the Lord to take that away? Because he already knew, right? He told Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He already, he already knew this is coming with the territory, but I don't think he knew. When Jesus called Paul, he said to Ananias, go and lay your hands on him that he be filled with the Holy Spirit and that his eyes be healed for he's a chosen vessel of mine and I will show him what great things he must suffer for my namesake. Dude, that kind of calling, you don't ask for that. You better have a lot of grace. And I think it got to such a great degree in the, in the first chapter of the same book of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we got to the place where we despaired even of life. It's so bad. I don't know if you've had times in your life where you're like, I can't, I just can't go on. I can't live anymore. The pressure, the buffeting, that word buffet there means to continually strike in the face. Just constant, never letting up wherever he went. That buffeting, yeah, he's crying out to God because it was excruciating. And he said, it's just like a thorn stuck in my flesh. I'm pretty well expert on thorns, right, Matt? 
If you work in the landscape business in Florida, you're pretty expert on thorns. Willie, probably you too. They hurt. And palm tree thorns, lots of date palms in, in Israel. I've had hundreds and hundreds of palm tree thorns stuck in my hands and my knuckles and my wrists and my body all over the place. They hurt. The thing that's so deadly about the thorns is they're super sharp, but they're also flexible. So they don't just snap off. They'll, they'll go and they can work their way in. I had a guy one time working for me. We're digging these date palm trees, and he's going like this, digging like that, and he, the, the leaf of the f- palm tree touched his ear like that, and he thought there was a bug on his ear, and he went like that to knock it off, and a thorn stuck straight through his thumb, right be- between his thumbnail and his knuckle, stuck, and it was sticking out of his, of his thumb that far on both sides, right in the middle. I'm like, how in the world could he get around the bone? Because it goes in, and it, it, it can twist and do that. I said, Bob, turn your head. I got the pliers out. I said, oh! Thorns hurt. I'll tell you what else, they get infected. With, if you get stuck by a thorn and you don't put antibiotic on it the next day and even that night, you can't sleep. It hurts so much it throbs. The irritating, the repetitive, buffeting. The thorn that was given to him. Why was it given to him? What did he say? Because of the surpassing revelations that I have so that I would not what? So I wouldn't exalt myself. So in God's economy of things, suffering is a lesser evil than pride. Humility is more important than comfort and ease. If you believe that, lift your hand. Okay, the Lord saw that. (laughs) So what is a thorn? I believe he describes it, basically. Secondly, I've got four questions here I want to answer, and then we'll be close. What is the purpose of the thorn? Um, Again, we just talked about that. It's given to him to keep him from exalting himself in humility and to keep him dependent. The purpose is to expose the depth of his weakness and helplessness in order to cause him to lean more deeply into God's powerful grace. That's a blessing. What is the result? I like this in verse 9. What, what, what did the thorn work in him, and why did it work in him? I want to suggest to you that it worked in him because he took his weakness and did the right thing with it. Instead of curse it, instead of do anything to try to get rid of it, He embraced it and boasted in it. And that opened up the portal of God's power to overshadow him. That's pretty, this is not politically correct stuff to say in the church. This doesn't get the shouts and the amens, but it's true nonetheless. And if we want to grow up into all that the Lord has for us. I've had experiences with the Lord where I was begging him, not because I had a thorn in the flesh, but because I had, another issue that was really troubling. And I'm weeping, and I'm asking the Lord. I'm, I'm begging him, take, me, take it from me. It was a business that, that I had, and I'm begging him to let me quit. And I keep begging him like that, and I'm walking and begging him, and I'm crying, and I'm holding a letter that I got from somebody that's threatening me and all of this other stuff. I said, Lord, You have to release me. It's not working. I'm trying to explain to him all of the reasons why he needs to let me release me from this. It's not working. They said, I can't support my family doing this. It is killing me. I can't do this. And I'm walking. And the Holy Spirit speaks inside of me and says, do you want everything that I have for you? And I cried because I knew where he was going to go with this. I said, Lord, you know that I do. He said, then you'll have to embrace the cross then, won't you? That's not what I wanted to hear. But I'm so thankful now. Can I tell you, years later, I'm so thankful, so thankful. I would not, it would have turned out, I can see now it would have been a shipwreck if I had to release that. Verse 9, he has said to me, And I I love this. Sorry for me being an egghead teacher here, but 
I, I love this in verse 9 where it says in quotation marks what Jesus said. The first thing that he said in the Greek, the first word that he said there in the Greek text is, sufficient for you is my grace. He's emphasizing my grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like, the sufficiency is in me. You're doing the right thing, taking your weakness to me, because I'm going to turn this and use it to have an explosion of the power of God through your life and through your ministry. It's beautiful. Let me read the Passion Translation of verses 9 and 10. It's pretty good. My power, Jesus said, finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of the living Christ in me. So I'm not defeated by my weaknesses, but delighted. For my weakness becomes a portal for God's power to flow into my life. Embracing the weaknesses that we have. In the kingdom of God, only the weak reach their full potential. In the kingdom of God, only the weak reach their full potential. Look with me um, at chapter 13 there. You're in, in 2 Corinthians 12. We'll finish up with this. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. This is so powerful. This is the third time I'm coming to you, Paul says, verse 1 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I'll not spare anyone. Paul's talking about his apostolic authority. For you're seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you but mighty in you. Verse 4. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. I've heard for decades of my life in my schooling, especially when I was at Rainbow Bible Training Center, just a big emphasis on who we are in Christ, our identity. And I want to tell you, this is an in Christ verse here in 2 Corinthians 13, 4. We are weak in him. What in the world does that mean that we're weak in him? It means this, that God has so set up the way that things work in his kingdom, that part of our identity in Christ is that our sufficiency is not inside of ourself at all. It's in Christ. And in ourself, we're weak, and we stay and live in that posture of weakness before the Lord and take it before Him and connect our weakness to Him, and then that becomes a portal for His life and His power to flow into our life. That's so beautiful. That's beautiful for weak people. How many weak people do we have out there? It's beautiful. That's me, too. In Christ Jesus, God has so set it up. Like, this is the most beautiful scene in the movie to the Lord where Jesus is like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He doesn't try to resist. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't curse. He doesn't call down angels. He just goes obediently and gives himself to death because he knows it's the Father's will. And out of that weakness, Paul says, Jesus was crucified in weakness. Out of that weakness, Father said, oh my goodness, watch this. Here comes the resurrection. Here comes the power of God bursting in, Jesus raising up from the dead. But not only did he rise from the dead himself, but with him he rose every person that would put their faith in him. And when he rose from the dead, he made an open display of the enemy and paraded him through the streets of heaven, as it were, saying, this is a defeated foe. Everything that happened because Jesus submitted himself in weakness and connected his weakness to the Father, and the Father glorified him and made his power shown. And the Father loves that scene so much that he wants it to be repeated over and over again in the life of every one of his children. He loves it. It's beautiful, and it's powerful. The kingdom of God 
in the kingdom, only the weak reach their full potential. So let me ask you this question in closing. Does my life demonstrate desperation for God by taking my weaknesses and connecting them with His power? Does my life demonstrate desperation for God by taking my weaknesses and connecting them with the power of God? That's the question I ask. Very often in our Christian life, very often in revival services, we're, we're too smart for God. We're too strong for God. We know too much. I get it. I've been around these circles for decades. We, we know all the language. We know the jargon. We've heard hundreds and thousands even of sermons. We've read the books by the hundreds. I've listened to tapes and CDs by the thousands. We know so much. We know the scripture verses before they turn there. And the Lord says, you're, you're too wise for me. You're too strong for me. I can't work through that. I need raw weakness to work through. I need you to take your weakness and to acknowledge you really don't know anything. Like Paul said, if anyone thinks he knows anything, then he knows what? Nothing. He knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. And so to come to him with that posture of weakness, this is a lifestyle. How many have ever thought about embracing this as a lifestyle, a lifestyle of weakness? And not trying to f get rid of it. Not trying to push it away. Let me read you uh, a couple more quotes here. And then we're going to finish up. The Christian life was never intended to be lived by making more and more commitments to God. But by trusting Him to keep His commitments to us. And as we connect with Him by faith and relationship, fruitfulness will happen. Our commitment is a response to His commitment. And our love is a response to His love. That's beautiful. So I'm just going to ask the team to come up. Al, do you want to come up? I know this isn't a huge shouting message, but if you have weakness that you want to just submit to the Lord, or if you have strengths that you need to lay down, a lot of times our issue with the Lord is that we're too strong. We have to lay down those strengths, and we have to bring our weaknesses to Him. This is a lifestyle can I tell you something? I know we get hyped up about living a revival lifestyle. That's what this is. How many believe that Paul had revival in his life coming in and going? He lived in weakness before the Lord, and God is attracted to that weakness. So open up if you want to come. That's awesome. If not, that's awesome too. We'll just worship. Let me pray for us, though. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your great goodness and grace that you've poured out in Christ Jesus. Father, forgive us for being too self-sufficient, being unwilling to take our weaknesses to you. I pray that you would help us to begin to live a lifestyle of weakness so that we take all of our weaknesses instead of trying to hide them and cover them over and make excuses for them and hate them and curse them we would take them we would lay them before your presence so that you can take our weakness and give your strength in place teach us Father teach us Lord in Jesus name